0: All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study. Um, We are continuing in the book of Romans. Uh, Tonight, we make our way to chapter 7, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 25. Now, we're going to be here for two weeks. Um, There's a question we've got to answer tonight. Uh, first about these verses, and that is, Who is this man? That's the title of our, of our lesson uh, tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, we come to a, a section of Scripture that I know has meant uh, a lot to me over the years, and God, I hope that uh, after tonight it'll, it'll mean as much to, to, to others here as well. We just ask you to bless the reading of the Word uh, through the Holy Spirit. Open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm going to do tonight is a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage because I want you to get a uh, kind of get a feel uh, for Paul and what he's saying. And remember, this is the Apostle Paul, okay? This is the, the great man of God. Um, and I want you to listen to what he says. I want you to hear his heart. And then we'll come back a little bit and, and talk about it. So he's writing, and he says this, For we know that the law is spiritual... But I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do not, if I do not want, if I do what I do not want, I'll get it right in a minute. I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. sin. Now, tonight we come to one of the most famous uh, uh, passages in the book of Romans, but it's also one of the most controversial. And, and if you had to pick one verse out of that passage that kind of sums things up, it would probably be uh, verse 19, where Paul says, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. If you you can hear it in his as he's going through the verses and he's writing this down, you can hear this idea that you have here of a divided man. This is a man that wants to do good. That's what he really wants to do. But he turns around and he keeps doing the bad things that he doesn't want to do. And he says, "I I can't even understand my own actions. What, what is going on here?" in inside of me and so you get this idea of a man that's being pulled two different uh ways the idea of a divided man so again he's a man who doesn't do the good that he wants to do but instead turns around and does the bad things that he really doesn't want to do so what in the world is going on here now let me first say this if you go back to the end of chapter 6 and you the, the first part of chapter 7, Paul has been talking about the law, right? We, we've hammered on that week after week after week. The law, the law, the law, the law. And then all of a sudden, right here in the middle of chapter 7, he starts talking about this divided man. And it may seem like to you and I, well, he's just, he's changed gears. He's switched boats in midstream. He just went from one subject to another. But that's not at all what he's doing. He's actually still talking about the same thing. So let me let me explain how. You remember last week, we kind of pointed this out that Paul has been teaching us that the law for us is a big problem. It's a problem for our justification, and it's a problem for our sanctification. And the reason we use that, everybody remember the speed limit sign? I hope that speed limit sign stays with y'all for a long time. The idea is when we see the speed limit sign, our reaction should be, well, that's great. <laughs> Thank you somebody for doing the research and, and finding the proper speed I can and, and, and giving me that information. Now let me just abide by it, but that's not what we do at all, is it? Something inside of us chafes at that. Who are they to tell me how fast I can go? I, I know I know what's what you know, we, we just don't that's not the way it works. Well the law's the same way. It doesn't create faith in us, it creates rebellion. It creates Resistance And so it's a big problem, not only for our justification, for our sanctification. So Paul, in Romans 7-7, has to kind of deal with this situation. Is the law bad? Is the law that, that God's giving us and the Ten Commandments and all these things, is it bad? And Paul says, no. No, it's not bad at all. The, the, the law's not sinful, and he says, by no means or, or God forbid You see, the law is powerless to justify and sanctify, not because it's bad, but because I'm bad. That's what chapter 7 is all about. Let me say that again. The reason the law itself telling us to do what's right and not to do what's wrong, the reason that don't work out so well is not because it's bad. It's good and right and holy. The problem is is it's us. We're bad. And we don't react to that in the right way. Way. That's why the Bible says what the law could not do in that it was weak through our flesh. So here we are in Romans 7, 16. Watch what Paul says. If I do, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So, so he's saying, here I am. I want to do the right thing. I agree the law is good. It's telling me to do the right thing. I just can't pull it off. Something's wrong down deep inside of me. And we're going to get to that tonight. Now, I want to say something here, if I can. My guess is, um, I've heard through the grapevine, I I, I said last week, if any of you have questions, please come and ask me. I'm I'm more than happy to answer any question that you have about this. I've heard through the grapevine that people have questions. And my guess is that probably one of the questions you have uh, is, what's wrong with me? You know, we, we, we've gone through chapter 6, and, and, the, and it told us we've been set free from sin, that we're not under the domain of sin, and that we don't, we don't have, we're not that way. We, we're to live by the Spirit. And a lot of us sit there, and, and we may come into church, and we look at other people, and we think, wow, they got it all together. What's wrong with me? Let me tell you, you're going to love Romans 7. You're going to love it. Because I love it. I keep coming back to Romans 7 over and over and over again. When I think, what is wrong with me? I go back and read Paul say the same thing. What is wrong with me? And we're going to talk about that tonight. But the law is good, and that's what he wants us to see. So these verses, this passage that Paul is is writing here tonight, falls right in line with what he's been talking about. For the past few weeks, and what he's trying to show us is even this dividedness inside of us, even this divided heart, this divided will, whatever you want to call it, where we want to do what's right but we end up doing what's wrong. This 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 struggle that's constantly going on—it's not due to the law. There's no problem with the law. It, it's about sin that dwells inside of us, and that's what he's trying to show here. In verses 14 through 25. So let's ask, ask and answer this question. I said up front, this is a pretty famous passage of Scripture, but it's also very controversial. Now, why would it be controversial? It's controversial because people argue about whether that man writing that is a Christian or a non Christian. Now, obviously, we know it's the Apostle Paul, right? Paul's writing. He didn't step out of the room and somebody else come in and ...and and write a few words while he's gone. It's Paul writing. But what they say is, well, is this Paul describing his experience before he got saved? Or is this Paul actually describing his experience after he got saved? Everybody with me? Now, we got a lot of things to learn from these verses. They are awesome verses, and they got a lot to teach us. But before we can get to that point, we've got to ask that question... Who is this man? Is this Paul the Christian talking here? Or is this Paul describing himself before he became born again? Okay, we have to know that. Now you may say, well, what difference does it make? Does it really matter? Oh yeah, it matters big time. See, I think it makes a big difference because if I stand up here tonight and I tell you that that is Paul the unbeliever, That's Paul describing his experience before he got saved. Most of you might listen, but to be quite honest, you'll immediately dismiss it. You'll say, well, that ain't me. It's got nothing to do with me. And you might find it interesting, you might study it, but you really won't come back to it. But if I tell you this man is describing his Christian experience, what it's like, the struggle of being a believer, now your ears are going to perk up and you're going to say, well, Wait a minute, I, I have the same struggles, and you'll come back to these passages over and over and over again to see what you can learn from it. So I think it makes a huge difference whether or not the person being described here is a believer. Now, let me just tell you right off the bat, there is no doubt in my mind that the the Paul being described here is Paul the Christian, Paul the believer. okay there is no in fact, i 'm sometimes astounded. <laughs> that there's even this controversy out there that, that some people say, oh, no, that's Paul describing what it was, what he was like before the, the Damascus Road experience. I, I just don't see that at all. I don't see it anywhere uh, in here. Now, I'll tell you in a little bit why some people think that, but I just want you to know right up front, I don't see that at all. Um, I, just, I think this man being described is a Christian, and I'm going to give you several reasons uh, why. So I've, I've got seven reasons, since we're in Romans 7, I've come up with seven reasons to help you remember why I think this man is absolutely a, a believer uh, in, this, in this passage. And I think as as we go through this, you'll find out that we've got a lot to learn uh, from this. So here's number one. okay This is the first reason I believe that Paul is describing his current experience. And that is the fact that, that Paul uses the word I and me and my uh, probably around 40 times, and he always does it in the present tense. Okay, If you go back and you read these these verses, again, you'll see me, my, I, I, and it's always in the present tense. He doesn't say it was what I was doing. He says it's what I am doing. He doesn't say the evil was present in me. He says the evil is present in me. It's always in the present tense in in the Greek. Uh, John Calvin said this: the true meaning of Scripture is the natural and obvious meaning. Okay, I, I think to be quite honest, if, if if Paul would have kept talking in the present tense, but he was really talking about something that happened years ago or or some. Uh, 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 some way he was several years ago, at the least it would have been disingenuous, right? It would have been misleading. He, He would have told us that. Oh, I remember how it was. No, to me it's pretty obvious that he's describing himself and his present Christian experience. The second reason I believe that this is Paul the Christian talking here is Paul speaks of the law Is only a Christian would speak of the law. Look at verse uh, 22. Paul says this, For I delight in the law of God. Now you tell me, do you know any unbelievers who would say they delight in the law of God? I was an unbeliever one time. I didn't delight in the law of God. Look at verse 25, the, the, the summary statement. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. He's saying, I love the law. I delight in the law. I serve the law uh, with my mind. That's not an unbeliever. I'm sorry. I don't know how anybody can read that in uh, to be a believer, okay? Uh, In fact, by the way, this terminology is exactly what Paul uses elsewhere to describe a Christian. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away our inner self. Is being renewed day by day. So Paul talks about this this kind of division, right, between the flesh and the spirit, between the outer man and the inner man, and I think that's what he's referring to here in uh, in, in in Romans seven. Number three, the third reason that I believe that that Paul is talking about his current Christian experience is Paul speaks of himself as only a Christian uh, could. I, I went and got an example. Remember I said up front, some people say this is Paul describing himself but before he became a Christian. Well, it turns out we actually have a description of Paul, him describing himself before he became a Christian. This is in Philippians 3. You can also find another description in Galatians 1. Now listen, this is the Apostle Paul describing himself before he became a Christian. He said this, If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh... I far more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. Now you tell me, does that man sound like a man that was lacking confidence? Does that sound like a man who was somehow struggling? Doesn't sound like that at all to me. But that's, a, that's his description of himself. That is completely different from the man that I find in Romans 7 who says, man, I want to do what's right. I want to do what's right. And I hate it when I, when I fail. That's, it's completely uh, different. Romans 7 18, Paul says this, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Again, does that sound like the same guy? Describing, uh, in, being described in Philippians. The guy who says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was found blameless. Now he's saying, man, there's nothing good in my flesh. Nothing good in my flesh. Again, this to me is just an obvious, uh, a, a, a Christian that's talking here uh, like this. Again, sounds nothing like that self-confidence, Paul, Paul but it's a guy who, who talks like a Christian uh, would talk. Someone who knows that they're saved by grace. Someone who who knows that there's none righteous, no, not uh, one. Okay, So I think, again, it's Paul describing himself. Number four, a divided you. Let me ask you a question. Are Christians divided men and women? Absolutely, we are. Absolutely, we are. Listen to Galatians 5.17. This is Paul's description. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit... And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other from, to, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. That's Paul's description of a Christian. You have the Spirit, and the Spirit is trying to pull you one way and, and take you one way and move you one way, but this flesh is always there pushing back and resisting that, and it creates these divided people, if you, if you will. That's Paul's uh, own description. Now let me just stop right here. And so far, i I, have I given you some pretty good reasons to think this guy's a Christian? Yeah, I mean, hopefully I'm being halfway convincing. So you may think, well, now wait a minute. Why would anybody think that this is a non-believer? The reason they think that is because of some of the language that Paul uses where he talks about being a slave to sin. Look at uh, verses 14 and 23, and I'll just combine them both here. He said this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now, do you see the terminology that he uses there? He uses the terminology of being sold, and he uses the terminology of captive. That's the terminology of slavery. That is what is in his mind right there is slavery. And guess who the slave master is he's talking about? It's sin. Now, does anybody see the problem? We just came out of chapter 6 where Paul says, you're not a slave of sin, you're a slave of righteousness. You've been set free from slavery to sin. Uh, Romans six eighteen: having been freed from sin, you're now slaves of righteousness. So it sounds like this person that he's describing, though is still a slave to sin. And some people say, well, see that? He, he's got to be talking about uh, an unbeliever. So, which is it? Are we free from sin or are we not? Let me ask you this question. Is it really that black and white in your life? Anybody here, is it that black and white? Because it ain't in mine. It's not, that, it's not that way in mind. Listen, we all know, and we're going to talk about this a lot more next week. Why are we this way? Why are we people who've been set free from sin, yet we still struggle with it? Why is that? We're going to get to that next week. We all know that as unbelievers, sin reigns. You're just going through life, man. You're just giving in to your desires and passions. You're just doing anything you want to do. You don't care, whatever, right? But does being set free from the law of sin and death mean that we never get tempted anymore? Does it mean that we never give in to sin? Does it mean that sin never gets the upper hand in our life? I I don't mean that in my life. I mean, sin is still there. It's still a struggle. We still have to do with it. In fact, Scripture teaches us just the opposite. How many times in Scripture does it say kill sin? How many times in Scripture does it say resist sin? How many times in Scripture does it say don't do that? Listen, if Christians weren't troubled with sin, if, 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 if Christians didn't struggle with sin, why would the Bible ever tell us to resist it? Because it knows there's going to be a battle. It knows there's going to be a fight in your life. It knows you're going to have a, a struggle. So Paul, for example, in Romans 8.13 says things like this, By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. Because they're not already dead. They're, they're there. He says, kill them. Kill them. You, you, what's the old saying? You be killing sin or it be killing you. It's one or the other. You've got to put it to death. Sin threatens us at all times. And sometimes, sometimes we lose. Sometimes defeat is possible. Listen, if the battle wasn't real, there would be no chance of us ever losing. It's a real battle. It's a real fight in our lives with sin. And sometimes sin gets the upper hand. So what is Paul talking about here? When he says, "I'm I'm sold under sin, I'm I'm uh, I'm captive to it," I, I think what he's talking about here is not a permanent situation. Obviously, I think what he's talking about here is, is not a a permanent condition, but a but a temporary one. Paul is not saying that the person who sins moves from being a Christian to a non-Christian. That's not what he's saying at all. He's just saying that sometimes we lose. Sometimes we get overtaken. Sometimes, for whatever reason, uh, we've been deceived or we're weak or a lot of different things. Sometimes sin gets the, uh, gets the best of us. Uh, somebody walked up to me Sunday and said, uh, you know, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian, but I, I'm struggling in a certain area of my life. And they told me what the area was. And they said, will you, will you pray for me? And I said, well, you know what? Go read Romans 7. Go read Romans 7. That's why I go back. to. I don't know about y'all, but I go back to Romans 7. Probably, I need to go once a day. I probably go once a month to read it again. Because there's something, and this is what I told that person. One of the, and I'll get to this at the end. I think one of the greatest benefits of Romans 7 is when you, it lets me know that as a Christian, I should hate, hate it when I fail. I shouldn't just take it. I I shouldn't just say, you know what, things happen. You know, I messed up, whatever, move on. No, no, the Christian hates it. I mean, we hate it. Now, we get up, we know we fail, we get up, we ask forgiveness, and we move on. But we hate it. We, We don't ever just give in to it. But sometimes in a moment of failure, sin is going to temporarily get the upper hand. Let me give an example from Scripture. Um, everybody knows Peter. Everybody knows Peter denied Christ three times, right? Jesus Jesus uh, told him about that. Uh, in fact, he told Peter before it happened, he said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I love that. Let me tell you, Satan doesn't touch you without asking permission from God. Don't ever believe that. Don't ever believe that lie. He told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But he says, but when you return, strengthen your brothers. Man, I love that. When you return, you're going to overcome, strengthen your brothers. So here's Peter. He's denied Christ three times. I'm, he felt awful, didn't he? Can you imagine? And, then he, and, and, he's, and he's forgiven, and Christ sees him again and says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. He's forgiven, and he's, he's, he's in fellowship, and on the day of Pentecost, he preaches, and 5,000 people are saved, and he is the man. I mean, he is this, he's filled with the Spirit, he's bold, all these miracles are happening. And he goes down uh, to a place called Antioch. that the Bible tells us that's where Christians were first called Christians in this place called Antioch. And Peter is down there, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and they got a church going, everything's going great, And then these real high-ranking Jews come down from Jerusalem. And this is Paul writing. It says this, But when Cephas, for whatever reason, he always called him Cephas, But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now listen, here is Peter, after he's filled with the Holy Spirit, after he's experienced denying Christ three times, after preaching on the day of Pentecost, after experiencing all these great things, after being this, getting this vision from God that says there's nothing wrong with Gentiles. After all of that, he feared being canceled. And so he backed away. He didn't want to be canceled. See, folks, it's the same sin. It's the same sin. He's denying Christ. It's the same when he needed courage, he lost it. See, he's still dealing with that thing years later. Is that any of that true for y'all? Any of y'all got a sin that's been in your life? Lust or gossip or pornography or something and just for whatever reason, you just can't. It just keeps, you think you got it whipped. I've got it beat this time and then it rears its ugly head. It rears its ugly head. See, some, that sin is always lurking. It's always there. It's always trying to come in and get you. And sometimes we lose, just like Peter did. Okay? It's always there. Again, if we're truthful, and we're going to talk tonight and next week about, can I just say, I'm tired of posing. Y'all get, some of y'all just get tired of posing. You just get tired of it. I do. Do I get, you get tired of just wearing masks all the time and trying to be... Can we just get real? Can we just get real for a little bit? Listen, if Romans 7 don't teach us anything else, it teaches, let's get real. Paul says, here is me. This is what I struggle with. This is Paul. I don't even... I don't know why I keep... I'm, not, I'm thinking, Paul, what can you be doing? Right? And I'll talk about that here in just a minute. But again, we all know what it's like. And if we're honest and truthful with one another, we all hate that we, we lose. So, indwelling sin is to be killed. But there are going to be times that it wins the battle. That just, that just happens. And when it does, man, you get that feeling. <laughs> Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. And I'm, I get that feeling. I'm just like, what is, what is wrong with me? Anybody here, you get that feeling? If you don't, there is something wrong with you. Let me just tell you that. If you fail and you don't get that feeling down deep that just says, what is wrong with me, then you've you got a bigger problem. you got a bigger problem. All right, number six. It's the number six reason I think that this man is a Christian. Here's why. Because he sounds just like me. Just like me. Listen to this quote from Horatio Bonner. He said this. This is not the language of an unregenerate man. When he says, I am carnal, sold under sin, is it really Paul, the new creature in Christ that he's describing? Yes, it is. Now watch what he says. And anyone who thinks it's impossible for a saint to speak like that, they must know very little about sin and even less of themselves. Now that's a good quote. Anybody that can read Romans 7 and say that a Christian can't talk like that, I'm looking at them saying, do you you even know who you are? Are are you seriously going to tell me that? He goes on, they are far mistaken in their estimate of evil who think that it's the multitude of sins that gives rise to the cry, oh, wretched man that I am, or I am carnal. One sin left behind would produce that cry. One sin. See, when you're a Christian, it's not the multitude. Paul's saying, what's wrong with me? It's not because he's got tons and tons and tons of sins. It could be because he's got one. Just one. But it's that one thing that's it's just killing him. Because <laughs> he wants to be like Jesus. He he wants to be all the way. And he's not, and it's, it, he don't like it. You know, it's kind of like somebody told me one time, if I had a white shirt on and if it was so stained right i mean it's stained all over um you wouldn't notice any particular stain but if i came in here with this crisp white shirt and there was just one spot you know right here everybody would be looking at that spot it would stand out like a sore thumb right well listen as you grow in christ and you become more sanctified and you become more like jesus that one thing can drive you crazy just that one thing becomes bigger and bigger. That's what Horatio Bonner is talking about. Like he said, I need, can anybody here say I need the Word less and the Spirit less than I did 20 years ago? I hope not. I need Him more. I need Him more. I want Him more. I, I, I've overcome some, but like I said a few weeks ago, it's just like the, 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 the kid sticking his finger in the dock. These other things are just popping up left and right that I didn't even know I had. There's always going to be a struggle and a battle. It's true in my life. I guarantee it's true in yours. And that's why when I read Romans 7, I said, he's talking about me. He's talking about me. So again, I think this is Paul's experience as a believer because I just think it mirrors all of our, not just mine, but all of our experience as a believer. Number seven, the seventh reason I believe he's a Christian that he's, when he makes this statement is watch his closing statement. This is verse 25. We've already read it a couple times. I want you to read it one more time. This is his closing summary statement. Thanks be to God. And by the way, verse 24 says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says this, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, this is his summary. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now that is a divided Christian. That is a divided Christian. That is no doubt in my mind. An unbeliever could not say I serve the law of God with my mind, but I serve the law of sin with my flesh. An unbeliever would never say anything like that. This is obviously a uh, a summary statement of the Christian life. So here's Paul, he's he's indwelt by the spirit, but he's harassed by the flesh. He's freed from the slavery of sin, yet that corruption still remains inside of him to some extent. And by the way, this will be his lot in life until he dies or or Jesus comes back, until he's glorified. He's going to have this struggle in his um, life. So this is what the divided man of Romans 7 teaches us. Christianity is not only victory, and it's not only defeat. Are you with me? It's, it's, you know, anybody that comes in just telling you it should be victory, 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 victory. And you're sitting, listen, I've sat in those sermons and I sit in that chair thinking, well, this ain't for me because <laughs> he, don't, he don't know me. I'm, I'm, I'm not having as many, I'm, I got a lot of defeats. But see, it's also not only defeat. There's also victory. Another way to put it, it's not as bad as it could be but it sure ain't as good as it should be. Or maybe I should say it's not as good as it will be. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a balance in there. It's, it's a struggle. It's, it's both. And that's what Romans 7 teaches us. See, this is the reality of the Christian life. This is the reality of the Christian life. Now, next week, we're going to talk about why. Why does it have to be this way? If, if I'm a new creature in Christ... If I've been united to Jesus through faith, if I've been set free from sin, then why do I still struggle with some of the things that I, that I struggle with? That, what's, what's going on here? And I'm going to teach you a principle next week called already, not yet. Already, not yet. And we'll talk about that's a That's a key principle in the Bible, not only with sanctification, but also even with, with salvation. We'll talk about, but for now tonight we're dealing with this reality of the Christian life and a divided man or a divided woman. Now I want to give you two final thoughts on why Romans seven is so important to me. Number one, I think one of the reasons Romans seven and and I am the, the older I get, the more thankful I am that Romans seven is in the Bible. Because if Paul would have just run right through Romans 6, you've been set free from sin, you're not under the law, there's therefore now no condemnation. We're. I mean, I'd have just been thinking, okay, now what, what did I miss here, Paul? But right in the middle of this is this divided man. And I am so thankful because that's I can say that's that's me. See, I think one of the great things about Romans 7 is it rescues us from this hopeless pursuit of perfectionism a hopeless pursuit of perfectionism because if you're trying to be perfect it is hopeless you're never going to be perfect in this life you are going to fall you are going to fail now we don't accept it we fight it we try to do better we get off the floor we ask forgiveness we move on but please please can we not pretend that failure is not a reality can we please not pretend that failure in our life is, is not a reality? You do understand, by the way, that there are people out there that teach that Christians can be perfect. You do understand that. There are people out there, and by the way, those people would, would point to Paul and say, this, Paul, this is not a Christian talking. A Christian wouldn't talk like that. Because they believe you can reach a point in your life where you can walk in perfectionism. And I think people that buy into that um, are just walking down a road and, and it's, it's, it's going to be a hopeless road. And at some point, if you really believe that, you know what you're going to do? You're going to look up one day and say, well, maybe I ain't saved because I sure can't get there. And you're going to start to question your salvation. What Paul's doing here is he's giving us the reality of it. Yes, you're set free from sin. Yes, you're a new creature in Christ. But there's a corruption that remains that we have to um, deal with. So again, this is the great thing about Romans 7. It's just realistic. It is just absolutely realistic. Paul isn't posing. He's not being a hypocrite. He's not putting on what I call a church mask and acting like everything's all right. He's saying, I don't understand why I keep doing the things that I do not want to do. What is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? We learned that from Romans 7. The second reason that I really love Romans 7 is I don't think there's a passage in the Bible, at least for me, that enables a saint of God to know they're a Christian. Now, that may sound odd to you, but it's. I've often said this in my life. um, One of the times it seems like... You know how Jesus said... uh, His strength is made perfect in our what? In our weakness, right? It's like sometimes when I'm at my lowest, that's the time I know more than any other time that I'm saved. Because at that point, I'm not depending at all on my own strength or my own righteousness or my own goodness. It's at those points I turn to Jesus and I say, God have mercy on me, please. You fall on Him all over again. and over again, and over again. Sometimes that sin is what makes me realize all over again, man, I need Him. I need Him. I need Him as much today as I did 47 years ago as an 11-year-old kid at a Bible camp. I need Him as much today as I did then. My salvation is just as much in Him today as I need Him for salvation just as much today as I needed Him then. And sometimes when I'm struggling... It's when I realize that probably more than any other. Does that make sense? And so that's why I think Romans 7 kind of does for us. It says, you know what? It's not okay. I don't want to, please, I want you to understand. Nobody's ever sitting here saying it's okay to sin because obviously that's not right. But it's, we're going to fail. We're going to fail. That is just realistic. But I'm still his child. I'm still his child. He doesn't throw me out of the house because I make a mistake. He didn't throw Paul out. He kept using Paul. He's going to keep using you and I. But we're not going to be perfect. Again, when you know in your heart that what you've done is wrong, and you hate it, and you love righteousness, you want to do... Is there any better barometer of a Christian than that? I I don't know. I don't think there is. It just lets me know deep down. You know, that person that came up to me the other day, I could see it in their heart, man. They hated what they were doing. Hated it. And they love righteousness. They want to be doing what was right. I could just feel it coming out of them. And I I told them two things. Number one, go read Romans 7. Number two, you're you're right. One of the signs that you're a Christian, because they said, I know I'm a Christian. You're right, you are. And this is one of those signs because you hate what you're doing. You hate it when you don't obey righteousness completely. Let me tell you, I fear for people who don't see a Christian in Romans 7. I really do. Because I think you're chasing a vision of Christianity that's just not real. I really do. If you you can't see a Christian in Romans 7, then I think your vision of Christianity is not realistic at all. And you're going to keep chasing something and eventually one day you're going to get so tired of chasing that you're just going to say, you know what, maybe I'm not even saved. Maybe, maybe there's not even a God. You're just going to, you're just going to run out of gas because you've been chasing this vision, this, this perception of Christianity that's, that's not real. Romans 7 says this is real. The struggle is, is real. So what you and I should do, what I do often is I go back to Romans 7 and I realize that God has begun a work in me. He started that work. He is the author of my faith and he's the finisher of my faith. And I try to look back to where I started at and where I've come. And yeah, I got a long way to go. But God has, has just tenderized my heart. Just tender. I'm not hard-hearted, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, And even little things now just really bother me where in the past... They may not have. So God hasn't left me alone in my failures. God has just tenderized my conscience. He's tenderized my heart. And even the little things now seem like big things to me. See, God is still working. And I go back to Romans 7 often when I fail and I read it. But I never forget Philippians 1.6. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it will complete it. We'll complete it. Next week, the title of our lesson is going to be Already, Not Yet. And we're going to talk about why as Christians we struggle sometimes. Why is it that we feel this, this division, this, this struggle pulling different ways? Why is that when we've been united with Christ, a new creation set free from sin? Why do we struggle with this remaining corruption? We're going to talk about that next week, and I really think it'll help some of you who maybe maybe have been here week after week and you 've heard me talk about being set free from sin, and you think well that 's not me well, it wasn 't Paul either, by the way he was yes, we are set free from the slavery of sin, it no longer has control over us, but absolutely we can still fall next week we 'll explain why, and we 'll talk about how to overcome that let 's pray, Father, as before, we thank you for the scripture. Uh, we thank you for the Spirit of God who has tenderized our heart, tenderized our conscience. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that, uh, uh, that as we leave here tonight, that God, you would just make this uh, Romans 7 passage real to us. I pray that everyone here will go home tonight and open their Bibles and reread Romans 7. Not, not as an excuse, but as a commitment to love your word as a commitment to walk in righteousness, as a commitment to serve you in the Spirit, in their inner self and with their mind. And when they fail, when that flesh lets them down, God, they'll commit one more time to get off the floor and walk forward with you. They will not quit. We will endure to the end. We will not let failures hold us back. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.